Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Midnight Melodies. All right, so in our last study in the book of Acts two weeks ago, if you were here, you remember that we left Paul, Silas, Paul's young protege, Timothy, and Paul's personal doctor, Luke, the historian, the author of Acts, we left those four men in the city of Philippi. Okay, so we're gonna get our geographical bearings again and take a look at the map. And so if you remember in the beginning of chapter 16, which we covered two weeks ago, Paul and Silas, on their second missionary journey, making their way uh, west across Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and because of the vision that Paul had of the Macedonian man, the Greek man, saying, come over here and help us, they jumped on a boat in Troas, and they headed, top right part of your screen, across the northern part of the Aegean Sea to the port city of Neapolis. Then they jumped on camels, donkeys, or whatever, or maybe they hoofed it, and they walked 10 miles up to Philippi. And so if you're looking at the city of Philippi right now, please say amen. amen. So I know you're with me. All right, so that's where we are today in Acts 16 in the city of Philippi. Next week, we're gonna tackle Acts chapter 17, at least the first half of that chapter. We're gonna follow Paul as he makes his way down to the area of the city of Thessalonica. And then as he makes his way south to the city of Berea. Then the second half of chapter 17, because this will necessitate a sermon in and of itself, we're gonna follow as Paul goes all the way down to Athens. And so in Athens, an amazing encounter who Paul, who has this great intellect, who took study, very important, uh, stood on Mars Hill and preached and taught the intellectual elite in Athens, and so we'll, we'll cover that. And then we'll go to chapter 18 as he goes down to Corinth. Now, just above Corinth, um, if you see the city of, of Delphi, just say amen, so I know you, you're looking at that. That's gonna be, that city right there in central Greece, that's gonna be very important here in just a few moments. But go ahead and go back up to Philippi. That's where we are right now. And it was in Philippi two weeks ago that we saw, listen to this, that the Lord opened the heart of Lydia so that she could pay attention uh, to what was being said by Paul. Paul sharing Christ, sharing the good news of Christ. And how many of you guys know that whether it's Paul or, or a billion other preachers and teachers, whenever we teach Christ, it's so easy to get distracted, right? And so the Lord opens the heart of Lydia that she may pay attention to what Paul is saying. And the result is that Lydia puts her faith in Jesus Christ and then she follows the Lord in baptism. God is now moving in Europe. But as I said two weeks ago, um, the book of Acts, it's like a chess match, right? God moves and, and he saves Lydia. But who's always there to make a counter move after God moves? Satan. And so we're, in a moment, we're gonna look at verse 16 and Satan's gonna make a counter move. And by the way, newsflash, this is the Christian life. Hey, how many of you guys wanna be real today, right? And so here's what the Christian life is not. The Christian life is not a bed of roses. The Christian life is not all health, wealth, and prosperity. The Christian life is not, I'm gonna use Jesus so that he can bless me and make me materially prosperous my whole life. That is not the Christian message whatsoever. Here's the Christian message. The Christian life is a struggle. Can anybody relate this afternoon? 
The Christian life is a struggle, but thank God, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, and we can get victory through Christ. But he's not gonna deliver us from the storms. He's gonna be with us in the storms. And so here's the thing, just expect it. Don't expect a smooth sailing life. You and Jesus, you know, walking hand in hand into the, sun, into the sunset. That's not the Christian life. If you expect that, when you get popped in the face by life, you're gonna be disillusioned and you're gonna say, see you later, God. See you later, church. But if you understand that it is a struggle and how desperately we need the Lord, he'll be right there with you in that struggle. All right, it's time for Satan to move in verse 16. Here we go. Luke, the author of this book, says as, what's the next word? We, do you see that? If you're looking right now at verse 16, please say amen. amen. Please follow along as we. So Luke is with Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Okay, what does that mean? Everybody please look at me. What that means is that the historian, the Dr. Luke, is writing this down as it's happening. This is not myth. This is not legend. This is an eyewitness account of the things that happened 2,000 years ago being written down by a scholar and a respected historian and doctor. This actually happened. And so in verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, Please look at me again, I gotta explain this. A place of prayer, you remember that in every city, whenever Paul would go, the first place he'd go is the synagogue. But apparently there's no synagogue in Philippi. We saw this two weeks ago, there's no synagogue, so what does he do? He goes down to the place of prayer down by the riverside. And it's there that he leads Lydia to the Lord. The place of prayer was a place where the Jews would gather uh, to pray. So why wasn't there a synagogue? Well. Um, in order for there to be a synagogue, there has to be at least 10 Jewish men to start the synagogue. And some people would say, um, you know, at least, you know, there's not 10 Jewish men in this whole city. And I, I just can't, I can't buy that because Philippi is a large city and it's a, it's, 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 its own Roman colony. So I, I personally think that there's some anti-Semitism going on in Philippi. That's why they don't have a synagogue. And that's why the Jews gotta go down by the place of prayer by the riverside. And so it's another Sabbath. They're going down uh, by the place of prayer by the riverside, verse 16. And it says that we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. All right, so Satan is now moving on the chessboard. He looks down, he sees Paul and a missionary team, and he's like, you know, I can't have these Christians sharing Christ in this city, Philippi belongs to me. So what does he do? He sends a medium, a slave girl. Luke calls her a slave girl, what does that mean? That means that she was owned, she was property in an empire, the Roman Empire, that was rampant with slavery. And so Satan sends us medium, a slave girl, to follow Paul and Silas and the missionary team around and it says that she had, did you notice that in verse 16? A spirit of divination. Now stay with me as we go a little deeper in the word of God, but that original Greek word for divination is very interesting. Check it out. Strong's Concordance, which can be accessed through Blue Letter Bible, says that divination, the word is python. And so in Greek mythology, the name of the um, Pythian serpent or dragon, serpent or dragon that dwelt in the region of 
Pytho and was said to have guarded the oracle at Delphi, remember Delphi on the map, and had been slain by who? Apollo. All right, so let me talk a little bit about Greek mythology because Greek mythology is the world that Paul lived in. All right, and so according to Greek mythology, Apollo was the sun god, and among other things, he was also the god of prophecy. And so in an epic battle, um, Apollo killed the serpent, Python. So he's fighting the serpent, he kills the serpent, and on the spot where he kills the serpent, Apollo says, I want a temple built in honor of my name. And now we're leaving Greek mythology and we're actually going to reality here. So the Greeks actually built a temple of Apollo. You can travel to Delphi in central Greece and you can go up into the beautiful mountains there and you can actually see the ruins of the temple of Apollo. So guys, if your wife wants to go on a vacation, maybe that would be interesting um, someday in the future. Now, now here, here, here's the thing. People who believe this nonsense, they would travel from all over Greece. Okay, pan-Hellenism, pan meaning across Greek city-states, they would come from far and wide and they would go there. It was considered the center, the navel of, 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 of Greece. And they would go to the, the temple of Apollo, why? to have their fortune told. And who would they go see? And I, listen, I'm talking about generals. You can look it up, you can, you can do the, the historical study. Generals, common people, kings, would go to the oracle of Apollo at Delphi, right there. They would go to that, that, um, that uh, temple, and who was the oracle at Delphi? It was a woman. And she was called the Pythia. And supposedly, she had the, the, the python spirit. You remember the python that Apollo in Greek mythology slew? So court, uh, apparently, um, according to, 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 to Greek legend, she had the spirit of the python, and you would come to her, and you would say, hey, should I marry um, this person? Or if you're a general, should I attack this enemy? Or if you're a king, um, should I, you know, whatever, annex this, this other country? So they would come by the thousands and ask this woman, she was a priestess of Apollo, and as they asked her the question, she would go into a trance-like state and she would utter mysterious prophecies. She was a medium, so-called a medium, uh, a, a go-between between the gods, specifically Apollo, and mankind. Of course, we know that it was all completely demonic. So eventually this term python spirit, spirit of divination, included anyone who spoke clairvoyantly like the slave girl in our text today in verse 16. The young woman in our text was a medium. She was a supposed vessel between the gods and mankind. And again, it's demonic. They would come to her, so if you lived in Philippi the first century, and you wanted your fortune told, you wanted to know about the future, you would go to this slave girl in verse 16 and you would ask her questions. And it does, the text doesn't say whether or not she went into a trance-like spirit, but we know that she was demon-possessed. And so ladies and gentlemen, of course, in, when you get to the occult and fortune-telling and mediums, some are completely fake, it's a, it's a complete racket, 
And, and other, others of them are really demon-possessed. They're really mediums that are influenced or demonized. And I personally believe, I'll throw in my opinion here, I believe it's a fact, that only God can see and tell the future. Only God, right? But here's what demons can do. Demons can actually tell you or tell a medium private things about you for you to buy what they're selling. So this is, this is what's going on in our text today in Acts chapter 16, and of course the catch is, if you want to have your fortune told by this slave girl, you gotta come up with some cash. <laughs> and so it says that she brought in a lot of money um, for her owners, and so let's regroup here. She was young, she was a slave, she was demon-possessed, and she was using her clairvoyant ability to bring money to her owners who were acting like her pimps, right? That's what's going on here. These guys own her, she's their property, they're their, her pimp, pimps, and so she comes, hey, how much money did you make today? Well, thus and so, well, next, tomorrow, that's unacceptable. You need to make double the amount tomorrow. And these guys didn't give a hoot about this girl. But how many of you are glad that Jesus Christ, in spite of all the darkness she was involved in, Jesus Christ loved her unconditionally and wanted to set her free? That's the God we serve, right? And so let's find out what happens now in verse 17. It says that she followed Paul and us, Luke writing this eyewitness account, she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And so why in the world would Satan lead this young woman to follow Paul and her missionary team around in order to loudly endorse their ministry? Their ministry? Well, for one, it's because he wanted to cause a distraction. Right now, if I'm up here teaching and preaching the word of God and somebody stands up in the back and starts yelling something, all right, you guys forget about what I'm saying. All the intentions go into that person. And so this is what she's doing. They're trying to share Christ and she's loudly yelling and screaming and she's endorsing their ministry. So what's another reason why possibly Satan is having the slave girl follow around and endorse their ministry? Well, here's why. It's because if the slave girl represents the occult and Paul and his team represents Christianity, maybe by her endorsement of them, somehow the people would be confused and the people would think that the occult and Christianity, well, is all kind of the same thing. It's not. Christianity and the occult are as different as good is from evil. And make no mistake about it, the occult, ladies and gentlemen, is absolutely evil. Don't mess with it. What does the Bible have to say about the occult? Well, we'll hit the rewind button and we'll go back 1,400 years to the time of Joshua and the 12 tribes of Israel, and they're ready to go into the promised land. And as they're getting ready to go into the land of Canaan and boot those people out of the land that God was giving them, God said to Joshua and the children of Israel, do not follow the abominable practices of the Canaanites. By the way, I love that word, abominable, right? It's like, how much worse can you get than that? And then God said this, look at this in Deuteronomy 18. He said, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering. Now, we gotta stop right there, right? Can you believe this? 1400, 1500 BC, the Canaanites, 
are burning and killing their own kids to sacrifice their own kids to whatever false god. And it's just sick. You know what drives me crazy is that there's so-called intellects in these higher institutions of learning and they have a problem with the Bible because the Bible says that God led a group of people called Hebrews into a land and kicked out the people from their land. Well, number one, God can do whatever he wants to do. He's God. All right, get over it. Just accept the fact that he's smarter than us and we need to submit to him. He never submits to us ever, ever. But number two, what you gotta realize is that these people had 400 years to repent. God told Abraham, hey, the sin of, the, of, 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 of these people has not come to full fruition. And so he gives them 400 years to repent. They still don't repent. So yes, Joshua and the 12 tribes of Israel went in and booted them out of the land. They're killing their kids. And by the way, before we get on our high horse and think that we're so righteous, we're doing the same thing in America today. We're killing our kids. Not outside the womb, but in the womb. And make no mistake about it, it's not a choice, it's a child. It's a human being. And Psalm 139 says that God knits us together in our mother's womb. And so who are we what kind of audacity do we have to suck out a little baby while God is forming that little baby in the mother's womb? It's not right, ever, under any circumstance, it's not right. And you may say, Pastor, that's really controversial, you shouldn't be talking about that. Somebody's gotta step up and speak out, right? Because here's what's gonna happen. If we don't repent, the same judgment that came upon the Canaanites and a thousand other nations in, in world history is gonna come upon America. So we gotta repent. And by the way, we don't endorse Republicans from this platform, and we don't endorse Democrats from this platform, and we don't endorse independents from this platform. But here's what I tell you to do. When it gets time to vote, you go in that voter's ballot box and you vote your biblical values. You have to as a born-again Christian. You've got to, 1,000%. And so these people were killing their kids. And let me just say this, I always have to say this when I bring this controversial topic up. You may be here today and you had an abortion. Well, let me tell you something. That even though you did that, Jesus loves you, 1,000%, okay? So the idea is don't try to appease your conscience by saying, well, it's my body and it's my choice. That's not, listen, that's the wrong road to go down. You gotta fall on your knees and accept his love and forgiveness. And listen, after he forgives you, he'll act like it never happened before. That's a God of grace that we serve. And so there shall be found among you, um, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering. Look at this or anyone who practices divination, there it is, or tells fortunes, or interprets omens. I had a person tell me one time that, hey, this friend of mine uh, told me that they can, they know someone who can get in contact with my dead loved one. It's like, run. Okay, don't get involved in that. Tells fortunes, or interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, 
or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. And so the Lord went on to say that because of these abominable practices right here, yes, he's booting out the Canaanites and giving that land to the Hebrews. So God's people under the old covenant don't have anything to do with the occult. God's people under the new covenant, hey, don't have anything to do with the occult. Paul's gonna show that right now in verse 18. It says that, and this she kept doing for many days, following around, yelling, screaming, and so-called endorsing their ministry. And Paul, okay, look at verse 18. It says, Paul put his arm around her and said, hey, let's join Christianity and the occult and win the world. Is that what it says? No, no. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. I, I love Paul. This is, by the way, sanctified annoyance, so this is okay. <laughs> he became greatly annoyed and he turned and he said to the spirit, he's not talking to the girl, he's talking to the spirit. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So Paul didn't need an endorsement from the devil. <laughs> so what does he do? He turns and he confronts the demon. I command you in the name. Okay, the word name is synonymous with the word authority. I command you in the authority of Jesus Christ. Come out of her. And because the name of Jesus Christ is the name above all names, guess what? That demon had to go. And it's good news for the girl. She's set free. Can you imagine how she feels? All these wicked, icky demons are out of her now. Praise God for that. But it's not good news for her owners. Why? Because they're gonna lose some revenue. The psychic hotline business is about to go under. <laughs> okay, look at verse 19. It says, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and drag them into the marketplace, the Agora, before the rulers. And so when the owners found out that this young woman's not on our team anymore, she's not gonna work for us anymore, they, they get mad, because she's not making them any money anymore. And so what do they do? They go up to Paul and Silas, they got violent, they grabbed them, and they drug them to the marketplace, the Agora, and by the way, they drug them to the rulers, the magistrates, the judges. Every Roman colony had at least two judges, and this is interesting, they would sit in the marketplace on the elevated bima seat. So those of you who are, are into the New Testament, you understand that um, the judgment seat of Christ, that we all, that means all of us, will one day stand before the bima seat of Christ. And so this, Paul takes this out of the culture of the day, and so they drag Paul and Silas to the marketplace, the Agora, and they stand before the magistrates. And so let's pick the story up in verse 20. It says, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are, okay, what's the next word? Jews. Jews. Did you guys notice that they didn't grab Luke? Now, it could be that Luke was down the street, you know, getting a hot dog or something, but... Here's what I know, Luke was a Gentile. They didn't grab Luke. They didn't grab Timothy, he's half Gentile. They grabbed the two Jewish looking guys, Paul and Silas, the 100% Jews. 
These men are Jews. I think this is more ammunition for my, our argument that there's a lot of anti-Semitism going on in Philippi. These men are, are you know, I gotta say something else real quick. So this is for free, okay? <laughs> and that is that anti-Semitism is growing in the world. So guys, can you help? Um, let's, let's all join together as evangelical Christians and let's be friends to the Jews. Let's stand up for them. We're gonna see uh, in our lives, and some of you are younger, a lot younger, and you're gonna see more and more of it. It's gonna, anti-Semitism is gonna grow. And isn't crazy that it's growing again, even though, you know, Nazism and, and, and Hitler is, is just not very long ago. And it's all over the History Channel if you wanna go back and, and watch it. And yet, even though we're freshly reminded if we make access to these um, newsreels from World War II were freshly reminded of the anti-Semitism that was all over the world. In that environment, it's still growing. And we got to stand up for our friends, the Jews. And so these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They're not disturbing the city, they're disturbing your pocketbook. He's a liar. Verse 21, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice, right? Christianity doesn't become an official um, religion of the empire until 313 AD under Constantine. We're 250 years before that. Verse 22, and the crowd, which is anti-Semitic, the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates, okay, I want you to picture this in your, in your mind, the two judges sitting on the elevated bema seat in the marketplace, they come down off their seats, all big and bad, right? And it says they tore the garments off of them, off of Paul and Silas. So they, everybody look at me, they walk up to Paul and Silas, right? And they look at him and just rip off their robes. By the way, has there been a trial? No. I'll talk more about that in, in a moment. And so they rip off their garments and gave orders, end of verse 22, to beat them with rods. And so all of a sudden, this, these guys have a bundle of wooden sticks and it's like bareback, bam, 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 and now blood splurting all over the place. Was there a trial? No. Verse 23, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he, the jailer, put them into the inner prison and fastened their seats in, of their feet in the stocks. And so we're gonna discover in verse 38 that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. And so under Roman law, they had a right to a fair trial. It was against Roman law for any Roman citizen to be condemned without a fair trial. So Paul and Silas have no opportunity to defend themselves, no opportunity uh, to stand against the accusations brought against them. And why? Because this was not a fair trial. This was anti-Semitic violence in the city of Philippi. So imagine the scene, okay? There's Paul and Silas, and they're in an inner dungeon. Their backs are beaten, bloodied, and bruised. Their feet are in stocks. I wonder how they're gonna respond. Do you guys think that Paul and Silas are gonna start to curse and complain? Do you think they're gonna get all bummed out and bitter? Do you think they're gonna start to whine and worry? All right, so let's look at our Bibles. Let's see how they respond to this mistreatment. Verse 25, if you're looking at it, please say amen. amen. About what time of night? Midnight. Midnight. 
Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Okay, you, this is not a made up story. Again, Luke is writing this. They were praying and sing, singing hymns to God. And what a great testimony. The prisoners were listening to them. I don't know about you, but this moves me. When everything was going wrong, when everybody's against them, when the bottom falls out, Paul and Silas made a choice, right? And it is a choice. They made a choice to rejoice even in the bad times. But do you know how a lot of Christians in America live? They live by their feelings. Instead of living by faith in Christ. And so you know what happens in a lot of American Christian homes today? The husband and wife wake up. Hey honey, what do you think? You wanna go to church today? I don't really feel like it. Yeah, it's kind of raining out there. Can't get out in that weather, might get a cold. And what happens? They live by their feelings and they wonder why their lives are like this. Newsflash, it's time for us to grow up spiritually and stop living by our feelings and start living by faith in Christ. That means that we do right whether we feel like it or not. That means that we live our lives by the principles of the word of God on good days and on bad days. That means that we stop sitting in the spiritual nursery in the corner, sucking our thumbs, living by our feelings, offended at everybody who hurt our feelings. We get up out of that nursery and we begin to grow in our faith and live life for Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. It doesn't matter how we feel. I'll take take that back. It matters a little bit. But what matters way more than how we feel? Christ and his glory. And you and I, guess what? And I know this because you're here. We didn't get up and see the rain and stay in bed. We got up and come here, came here whether we felt like it or not because God is worthy of our worship and praise. That's why we come. He's worthy. And so Paul and Silas, they make a choice. They make a choice to rejoice. Paul looks at Silas and says, hey, come on, man, we're gonna pray, and we're gonna praise the Lord. Love it. Listen, these are are the heroes you should be telling your kids about. Not Not the crazy guys with the capes on the movie screen. Give me a break, please. These are the real heroes. See, it's counterculture. That's what we have to do as Christians. We don't swallow what the culture gives us. We go against the culture and we live by the word of God. And so, let me switch gears here. Let me ask you this question. How many hot tea drinkers do we have in the house today? Raise your hand like you, like you um, are not embarrassed. Not many, wow. This, okay, okay, we're getting more now. All right, I see that hand, all right, all right, man. So I like coffee in the mornings. I love coffee in the mornings. <laughs> Praise God for coffee, right? But after lunch, I really like a hot cup of British black tea. And yes, I do have a mild caffeine addiction. You can pray for me, right? But, but I, I, love, I love hot tea. Have you guys noticed how many flavors of hot tea there are these days? Isn't this nuts? Isn't this crazy? 
There's so many different flavors of hot tea, it makes your head spin. Now, let me ask you this. Have any of you guys ever taken the time to read the description of these tea bags on the side of the box? It's really funny. You should take the time. And so, we are in November, Thanksgiving is coming, and what I wanna do is I wanna prepare you for Thanksgiving by reading you the description of pumpkin spice chai. You ready for this? And I quote, expertly blended with a light flavor of fresh autumn pumpkin and the savory spice flavors of cinnamon, cloves, ginger, nutmeg, and allspice to deliver a flavorful tea with an inviting aroma and fresh taste. <laughs> it's like no wonder this stuff costs so much money, right? <laughs> wow. Give that guy a raise, whoever wrote that. And now winter is coming. Anybody excited about winter? And so, to prepare you for the severe cold in Florida, I want to read you the, the description of winter spice. Okay, you ready? And I quote, a warm and inviting blend that combines soothing apple and flavored chamomile with tantalizing cinnamon, cardamom, and clove spices. Now that sounds really good right there, right? And here's what you gotta do. Don't, for all of you guys who didn't raise your hand and you decide after this sermon you're gonna go get some tea, right? And by the way, it's not twinnings, it's twinings. Just wanna make sure you understand that. All right, and so when you make your hot tea, don't go on the front porch or the back porch and drink it because you'll sweat in Florida, right? So what you gotta do is you gotta turn the AC all the way down to 65. And then try it, you coffee drinkers, I'm telling you, try it and you'll like it. Now some of you are saying, why are we talking about tea? Okay, so here's why. If you're with me, say amen. Okay, when Paul and Silas were put in hot water, when they were bobbed up and down in hot water, the flavor that came out of Paul and Silas was prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. Which is amazing, amazing. And so if you wanna engage with the message and fill in the blank, here's your next point, and that is people are like tea bags. When they're in hot water, their true flavor comes out. Now how many of you guys know that it's not healthy to go to churches where every week it's always a positive message? Right, we gotta be challenged in our faith. So this next sentence is gonna challenge you guys like it challenged me this week. But, but here I wanna ask you a question, don't, don't answer out loud. If you were a tea bag, what flavor would you be? Now I'm not asking what flavor you would be when your marriage is great and the kids are well behaved and you just got a promotion, the money's flowing in, right? Everybody's flavor is prayer and praise when things are that good. I'm asking, what is your flavor when all hell's breaking loose around you? When you're maligned and mistreated? When like Paul and Silas, you're being bobbed up and down and everything's boiling around you and the bottom's falling out? What is your flavor then? Is it cursing and complaining? Is it bummed and bitter? Is it whining and worry? All these different flavors, you know, how does that taste? I think sometimes, some of our attitudes in times of adversity, God goes <laughs> right? Or, or, 
during tough times is the flavor that comes out of you, what came out of Paul and Silas, prayer and praise. You see, in all things, we're supposed to give thanks. And so, if you're here and you say, okay, I admit it, because we all really wanna be real, we don't wanna be hypocrites. And so if you say, I admit it, when I'm in hard times, being bobbed up and down in a tough situation, sometimes, if I'm honest, a lot, the wrong flavor comes out. So how can I be more like Paul and Silas? Okay, so your next fill in the blank, here's where the rubber meets the road, here's application right here. If you want prayer and praise to come out of you, and if I want it to come out of me, we gotta do two things. We gotta let the Holy Spirit fill us. That's Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. And we gotta let Christ's word dwell in us richly. That's Colossians 3, 16 through 17. Let the Holy Spirit fill you and let Christ's word dwell in you richly. Now, when we do those two things, when we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and we allow Christ's word to dwell in us richly, what happens? The result is an attitude of thanksgiving and praise. That just happens. So let me prove it to you from the scriptures. Look at what Paul said to the Ephesians. I mean, obviously caps are mine, right? But he said, be filled with the Spirit. Now, what's the result of that? addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, here it is, singing, that's whether you got a good voice or not, it's all good to God, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, and then look at this, giving thanks always, always, again, always, in the original language that means always, right, good times, bad times, giving thanks always and for everything, and by the way, everything to God the Father. And so when Christians are truly spirit-filled, what do they do? They sing and praise the Lord and they're thankful. Now, look at what Paul writes to the church of Colossae. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay, what's the result of that? teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, here it is again, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with what in your hearts to God? Thankfulness. And so when Christians are filled with the word of Christ, same thing. They sing, they praise the Lord, and they're thankful to God. In both the Ephesians 5 passage and the Colossians 3 passage, we see the, see the same flavor that's coming out of the person who's filled with the Spirit as is coming out with a person who is allowing Christ's word to dwell on them richly. What flavor is that? Prayer and praise. It's singing to the Lord, it's being thankful, it's worshiping the Lord, it's having an attitude of gratitude. And this is what we see, right, from our text, coming out of Paul and Silas as they're being bobbed up and down in hot water, boiling water, as they're suffering in the Philippian jail. And so, I'm almost done with this point, but I wanna drive it home because I know it affects all of us here. And again, if we really wanna change, if we wanna get out of the nursery and grow up in Christ, we've got to accept these truths and apply them to our lives. And so in tough times, 
if you don't like the flavor that's coming out of you, if you look at the last week or two weeks and, and during those difficult times, you don't like the flavor that came out of you, then, then here's the good news. You can change your flavor. You really can be filled with the Spirit every day. And I'm not talking about just being indwelt by the Spirit. We're indwelt by the Spirit the moment we're born again and we're sealed to the day of redemption that never changes. This is a different Greek word, to be filled. It says, don't get drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So I'm making a choice. I'm not gonna come under the influence of alcohol or whatever. I'm gonna come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I'm here again today. It's a new day, and I'm asking you, Lord, uh, to fill me. I'm asking you, Lord, as I submit my will to your will, my choices to your choices, that would you please help me today, influence me, fill me, lead me, Holy Spirit, I'm yours. You guys think God will answer that prayer? Yeah. And some people say, well, I pray and I don't feel anything. It's not about your feelings. Sometimes he'll give you a feeling, sometimes he won't. But you gotta submit your will to his will. And then you can also make a choice to allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. And so here I am, Lord, I got up pretty early this morning because you're a priority in my life, you're number one, and so I'm here, it's dark, it's before work, I got, my wor I got the word open. Fill my mind with your principles and precepts. Help me, God, today as I live my life to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Help me to put in practice everything that I'm learning. God's gonna answer that prayer. And here's what's gonna happen, week after week, decade after decade, you're gonna come out of the nursery and you're gonna grow up in Christ, and, and, and by the way, I don't say that to offend anybody because I know that probably most of you guys are growing in your, in your walk with the Lord. My point here is this, sanctification is a process. What I'm talking about right now is a lifelong process of being conformed into the image of Christ and all of us, myself included, have a long, long way to go. But wouldn't it be great after every week, every year, every um, decade, we become more like Christ in prayer and praise starts coming out in times of adversity. All right, we gotta, we gotta move on. So look at verse 28. It says in verse 28, I'm sorry, in verse uh, 26. Yeah, verse 26. So they're there, they're, they're singing, they're praising the Lord, the prisoners are listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, look at this, all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Like, I'm free, I'm free. And when the jailer woke up, uh-oh, sleeping on the job, and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And so in the Roman military, man, if you're a soldier and you allow a prisoner to escape, guess what happens to you? you receive the same sentence that that escaped prisoner would have received. So apparently there's at least one guy in the Philippian jail who's been sentenced to death. And so the earthquake wakes this, soul, this, this uh, jailer up. He looks, he sees the doors of the prison open. He assumes, oh no, they're all gone. I'm, I'm a dead man. And he doesn't wanna face the embarrassment of being killed by his superior officer for sleeping on the job. He takes the sword, puts it into his gut. He's getting ready to fall on his sword and go out into an eternity without Christ. And right before he falls on his sword, now we look at verse 28, Paul cried with a loud voice, 
Go ahead and kill yourself, jerk. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? No. That's what Hollywood movies say all the time. But no, Paul's of a different spirit than the people who make many of our movies. And Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. Wow. And the jailer called for lights. He can't believe it. He's flipping out. And he rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Wow, what an open door. I mean, some of you guys have the gift of evangelism and you're like begging God, can someone please once in my life come and say this to me, right? What must I do to be saved? And so the jailer, follow the thinking here, the jailer knew how maligned and mistreated Paul and Silas were. And now what is he seeing? He's seeing their response to him. What's Paul and Silas's response to the jailer in light of everything that they went through, all the negativity they went through? The response of Paul and Silas to the jailer is love, love. You see, when the earthquake happened and their, their chains fell off, they could have bolted. But Paul and Silas are like, no, we're staying right here. You know, they're, they're beating us in public without a trial saying we're guilty of disorder. Let me show them some disorder. Paul, Sil Paul and Silas, we're, we're sitting right here. We're gonna submit to the government. And somehow they persuade the other prisoners to stay there too, why? Because they don't want the Philippine jailer to be killed. It's an act of love. And right when he's about to kill himself, Paul, act of love, hey, don't harm yourself. And I believe God is using the testimony and ladies and gentlemen, each of you in this house has a testimony. People are watching you. And they're especially watching you in times of adversity. And I believe it's the testimony of Paul and Silas that this, this jailer now comes under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the, the, he knows how he's been treating as a, as a jailer these prisoners. And, and the weight of his sin, I believe, is coming down on him. And he's realizing my soul is in peril. And so what does he do? In an emotional time, he falls down. What must I do to be saved? And that leads you to your next point. Ladies and gentlemen, please get this. You cannot be saved until you realize you're lost. Please do not believe the gospel, quote unquote, that says, yeah, just take Jesus so you can use him to bless you and bless you and bless you for the rest of your life. That's a false gospel. See, I would be a false teacher if I didn't tell you the bad news before the good news. There's bad news before the good news. So let's deal with the bad news. The bad news is you can't be saved until you realize you're lost. The Bible's clear, Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. It's not good people and bad people. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to the hot place. That's not the gospel. It's bad people and bad people, and we need a savior. That's the gospel. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin, church family, help us out, is what? Death, that's spiritual death, not just physical death. It's eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Luke 16, the rich man died, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes in torments, begging for water. That's a real story. Hell's a real place. 
And if right now you're thinking, I don't really believe in a hell, and I believe that I'm fine, and if there's a God, he'll accept me, you're not saved. Someone's gotta tell you the truth. But like this jailer, you gotta come under the conviction of your sin. You gotta realize that your soul's in peril. And then you have to cry out like the jailer, what must I do to be saved? And so what is Paul and Silas's answer in verse 31? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. I love that. Simple and straight to the point. Believe. In Jesus. What does the word believe mean? We gotta get this right. In the original language, it means trust in, have confidence in, rely on. So that's the next fill-in if you're taking notes. Trust in, have confidence in, rely on. Okay, Mr. Jailer, here's what you need to do. You're asking what must I do to be saved? You need to trust in, have confidence in, and rely on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he'll save you because he loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter how badly you've treated these prisoners, and in verse 32, Paul and Silas go to his um, living quarters and he, they speak the word to his family and to him, I'm sure going more in depth about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so the gospel has not changed. If someone wants to be saved from sin and judgment, they gotta believe in who Jesus is and what he did for them. All right, so everybody please look at me. Who Jesus is, what he did for you. Who's Jesus? Check it out. Believe in who he is. John says, these are written so that you may, here's that word, believe that Jesus is the what? The Christ. That means he's the Messiah. Jesus looked at the Pharisees. He said, if you don't believe that I'm the Messiah, you're gonna die in your sins. So you gotta believe that he's the Messiah and then also that he is the son of God. Some people say he's a teacher. Some people say he's an angel. Can I set the record straight? Jesus Christ was not created. He's one in being with the Father. He's the eternal word. And the, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Some people have had this, and I love, I love people who have the gift of evangelism, don't get me wrong, but some people in their zeal for evangelism, their, their methodology is just get them to say the prayer as fast as possible and then all this stuff will come later. No, they need to understand who Jesus is. He's the Christ. He's the son of the living God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So you believe in who he is, and then you believe in what he did. Next screen. For I delivered to you, Paul said to the church at Corinth, as of first importance, what I also received. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins. He paid the price, he took our judgment, he experienced hell in our place. In accordance with the scriptures, Isaiah, 20, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Daniel 9, right? That he was buried, and you can't leave this out of the gospel, and that he was raised on the third day. You believe in who he is, he's the Christ, the son of the living God, and you believe in what he did for you, he paid the price for my sins. And he's my only hope. Jesus, I trust you. I have confidence in you. I rely upon you. And sometimes I'll lead people in a sinner's prayer, but here's what you need to know. It's not words that save you. It's faith in your heart. Amen? All right, so let's finish this up. Please look now at verse 32. 
It says they spoke the word of the Lord to him, the jailer, and to all who were in the house. Okay, so they're speaking the word to all who are in the house. And he took them, and the same hour of the night, this jailer washed Paul and Silas's wounds. Can you see the change of heart? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, right? He's loving on them. And then it says that he was baptized at once, he and all his family. So they all hear the word of God explained, and now they're all getting baptized. It says in verse 34, then he brought them, the jailer brought Paul and Silas into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with how much of his household? Entire household. Everybody look at me real quick. Let me ask you a question. Can babies hear and understand the word of God? Can infants rejoice? Oh, yay, daddy got saved. No, there's no infants in this house, which some Protestant churches, by the way, will try to get you to believe, but what they're doing is they're practicing eisegesis and not exegesis. Exegesis is taking what the word of God says, not putting our own ideas into it. And so he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So here we have another example that baptism follows belief. First the jailer and his household believe, then they're baptized. And so, you knew it was coming, right? If you haven't been baptized, what's the word, church family? Since. You put your faith, hope, and confidence in Jesus Christ. You gotta obey the Lord's command. It won't save you, but it is a commandment because God wants us to publicly express our faith that we love him, we're not embarrassed. And so, good news. We have baptism this Thursday, 6.30, right in this room. It's gonna be right over there. We're gonna bring the baptismal in. And so if you wanna be baptized, you gotta, you, gotta, uh, you gotta sign up. Go to our website, calvarypsl.com, click on Next Steps, scroll down to Baptism, fill out the form, hit Submit, and uh, we'll take care of the rest. And so we're just gonna read the rest of the verses and be done. Verse 35, it says, but when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, hey, let those men go. And so somehow, for some reason, they have a change of heart. Let Paul and Silas go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, you know, like, wait a minute here. They have beaten us publicly uncondemned men who are Roman, uh-oh, Roman citizens, right? Roman citizens, you cannot be condemned before you have a fair trial. There was no fair trial. You know, someone's job's on the line here. Men who are Roman citizens have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No. What is Paul doing here? He's standing up for his civil rights. I just wanna to say to you that if there's a squabble in the church, please let the pastors and elders handle it. But if you're being mistreated and maligned out in the world, there's, you have every right in the world to get legal representation and, and defend yourself and stand up for your civil rights. It's right here in the Bible. No, let them come themselves and take us out, right? Give us a public escort. Judges, you two guys who came down and walked up and tore my robe off, now you're gonna publicly escort me out of jail. 
And hopefully everybody in Philippi will know, hey, Paul and Silas didn't do anything to deserve that. And hey, maybe we should treat this baby church in Philippi with some dignity and respect. That's why Paul's doing it. Verse 38, the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came, eating humble pie here, and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city, pretty please, right? And Paul's like, oh, I'll leave when I wanna leave, verse 40. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, had some tea with Lydia, and then they, uh, when they had seen the brothers, then they encouraged them and departed. Thank you.